High Noon. This is News Talk. Leading neuroscientist Matthew Walker has said that sleep deprivation is increasing our risk of cancer, heart attacks and Alzheimer's. So is this true and just how closely is our quality and length of sleep linked to our health? To discuss this, I'm joined on the line now by Lucy Wolf, sleep consultant and trainer with This Works Sleep Therapy. Lucy, you're very welcome to the programme. Hello, how are you? Not too bad. Um, I suppose I'll ask you first of all about uh, this idea that a lack of sleep uh, or sleep deprivation is linked to such serious conditions. Is that there's science behind that? Is there? Yeah, there is, and consistently studies are supporting the, these results that people who are not getting enough sleep are at a higher and increased risk for health issues, and they would generally be, you know, some cancers, heart disease, um, diabetes, early onset dementia. So this is consistently showing up and I suppose it is important that we keep, you know, sleep in the health agenda conversation because it is showing us all of the time that it is the third pillar of health and well-being. What then, it begs the question, what then is enough sleep? Well, yes, everyone is slightly different and I suppose I try to work in bandwidth when I'm describing what a person might need. And last year, the American Association of Med- uh, Sleep Medicine, you know, changed the guidelines, you know, slightly to support that most adults need somewhere between seven and nine hours in order to be at their, what, their, their optimum level. And can you do that in tranches? Do you have to do it all in one go? It's generally recommended to do it in one go. Because you um, hear people talking about, you know, oh, I, I don't know, like the fact that, you know, we... Uh, People get sleepy during the day as some kind of kind of caveman hangover and we should all be having kind of long naps and then only sleeping four or five hours at night or something like that. Yeah, generally we're trying to complete maybe four to five sleep cycles in the overnight period so that we know that the restore you know, the repair and restoring um is actually happening in the context of our sleep. I actually often recommend a nap, but only if it's not impairing your ability to achieve sleep overnight or indeed maintain it overnight. And again, there's a couple of little guidelines that I often report with a nap that we try not to let it be after 2.30 p.m. in order to maintain sleep drive at bedtime. And again, sometimes older people do better if they sleep in two halves and most certainly people on shift work would be recommended in order to try and meet their quota that they sometimes sleep in two parts as well. But we only ever try and do that if it doesn't affect the onset of sleep and the maintenance of your sleep as well. When you get those four or five cycles, as you said, overnight so that the body can kind of repair itself, what, what, when you explain that a bit more, like what's actually happening when I'm asleep? Well, I suppose throughout the night we alternate through sleep cycles. You know, people will be aware of, you know, light sleep, and, you know, dreamy sleep and deep sleep. And I suppose we alternate between the two phases. And we would need to complete those cycles in order for sleep to have its true restoring and biological maintenance supervision job, if you like. And so it's important that we get enough sleep and it's also important that the quality of the sleep is good as well. And, you know, often the quality of your sleep is impaired by the use of electronic media before sleep time, the overuse of caffeine or alcohol. And so although you might be meeting your quota of sleep, the actual level of quality of the sleep is impaired, which means it's not as good as, you know, the, the amount of sleep you perceive you're having.
53106 is the text number if anyone is listening and they have any questions uh, please do get in touch that'll cost you 30 cents or you can get me on Twitter at Kieran Cudahy uh, Lucy Lucy Wolf sleep consultant with sleepmatters.ie and trainer with this work sleep therapy is is with me now when you talk about then quality of sleep and it's not just about quantity the quality matters how do I know if I'm getting poor quality sleep like if I am going down at the right time and getting up and I think right that's the seven eight hours clocked off how, how do I know if that's not actually good well, sleep generally mood and behaviour how you feel those dips that you mentioned earlier this hang, this caveman hangover concept obviously throughout the course of the day our, our body clock is waxing and waning if you like and we're going to have those natural dips but generally we should have good alert uh, ability throughout the course of the day and that we should feel like we're well rested you know if you can't get up in the morning when your alarm clock is going off it can often indicate you're not getting enough sleep or not good enough quality sleep oh so there's again, nothing worse than being in a deep sleep when your alarm goes off isn't there I know and doesn't it always happen on the weekdays as opposed to the weekends oh yeah it happened this morning I was far away in dreamland my alarm yes, went off well, I actually wasn't too far away from you there on that basis as well and so I suppose you know, we, it's how we feel as well, how we look. You know, if you we, again, I work with um, families of young children, and often we'll be looking at how they look. You know, dark circles, red rimmed eyes, and again, I think this is very important for our teenagers that often they're on gadgets overnight. We think that they're getting enough sleep, but they don't seem like they're getting enough sleep, and then we might feel that you're not getting enough quality sleep, and to try and have a better sleep hygiene or better sleep practices that the whole focus of this is that we prioritise our sleep and we put it up okay. there well, in the, you know, as a priority. What, what are those practices? Because you've kind of touched on electronic devices and the effect they can have there. Yeah. Regularity with sleep is actually key. So waking up around the same time every day and going to bed around the same time every day without exception is probably the first thing we really recommend. When, especially if you're struggling with sleep, but to maintain a regularity and that you don't have wild differences between your wake times and your bedtimes on a seven-day period. That's probably the first thing. You know, things you'll have heard before, you know, lifestyle. So exposing yourself to bright light, having some sort of exercise regime, not eating too close to sleep time, large meals, that would be. Not exercising too close to sleep time either. Yeah, when should you? Exercise. We yeah. try not to exercise two to three hours before you want to go to sleep because you know modern life has really impacted our sleep you know electric light um everything is open on a 24-hour basis so the natural dip that should come for sleep isn't necessarily there anymore so we need to create that so relaxing the body having a pre-sleep ritual so again you know having a bath before bedtime it's it's about processes. It's about having a routine, having the body temperature drop so that your body starts to prepare for sleep and welcome it. Yeah, cause we've, someone has got in touch here to say, I work no regular shift pattern days and nights. The roster is all over the place. So I guess that person's going to find it very difficult to have a, you know, a, a situation where they're going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same yes, time. It's very difficult for people on shift work because you're challenging your natural biological rhythm all of the time. Now, again, there are a few things that you can do to try and preserve your sleep. We touched on it briefly about maybe sleeping in two parts. But even if you're coming off a night shift, I often recommend that you just wear sunglasses on the way home so that you're not exposing yourself to the bright light and you're trying to not fool your brain and body, but trying to help it to be easier to go to sleep. But most certainly for people who are working irregular hours, it is, you know, they are more vulnerable, let's say. What about these people like Margaret Thatcher who say they only have to sleep about three or four hours a night? 
Do, well, is, that, is that true or are they just kind of uh, yeah. anomalies? So the, the neuroscientist that you mentioned, Matthew Walker, you know, he mentions uh, Margaret Thatcher in, in a recent article because it's not, doesn't, shouldn't go unnoticed that I think that she had um, dementia or Alzheimer's um, and that really he suggests that there is no percentage of people that need the, those real minimum amounts. Now, historically, I would have been saying 1% of the population flies underneath that mm. radar. But actually, he is saying from extensive studies and works that actually everybody needs to get the, um, more sleep and that often it is, you know, like a sliding door is that you don't actually know how you would be if yeah. you were indeed getting what, enough sleep. What about people then who will be listening and think, look, I just can't get any more sleep than that? Like, at what stage... Uh, you know, are they kind of crossing the line into someone who's actually suffering from insomnia? Yeah, and I suppose for sleep, I would always try to encourage people to work on it. But it's not an immediate quick fix. I would always equate it a bit like a fitness regime or a healthy eating plan, that you would spend time working on it. So it's not going to happen immediately for you. But if you begin making some lifestyle changes, like even cutting out caffeine, as the day unfolds and not having alcohol the hour or two before bedtime or at all, if you can help it, you know, having a relatively... Drink your wine in the morning, I hear you. Well, you know, the problem with alcohol before bedtime is that it often is used as a bit of a sedative and it can help you go to sleep relatively easily. But unfortunately, it acts as a stimulant. It courses through your system and actually can cause you to wake up more frequently or indeed have that lesser quality of sleep. Yeah, you talk about sedatives there. What about, like, if you take sleeping tablets to go to sleep, is the the quality of sleep just as good? Um, Well, again, it's not a long-term strategy, and the studies tend to support that, you know, overuse or a long-term use of those type of sleep aids are are contributing to degradation of your sleep. So generally you're looking for improving your sleep practices in what I would describe being a natural or organic way. Now again, like I said earlier, it's not going to happen immediately or overnight if you like, but you can steadily work on it. And even working through, you know, ways of helping your body to self-regulate and calm, you know, practicing perhaps mindfulness or visualization will take you time to get good at that and for it to have it, it's, an, it's a positive impact. But if we commit to it, and even where sleep is concerned, that I would always encourage people to commit to at least the seven or eight hours. You know, if you need to get up at 6 a.m. in the morning, you need to do the backward math so that you're going to get at least the chance of sleeping the recommended minimum amount. Uh, did, someone has got in touch here, and, and whenever we talk about sleep, uh, parents get in touch, parents of young children particularly, um, uh, and this new mum has got in touch. And it's an interesting question because it's not actually about the children. She's making the point that she used to be a great sleeper. Uh, she never woke up through the night, but then she had a baby. She got used to the baby waking through the night. The baby now sleeps, but she can't. And I suppose kind of we'd noticed that at home ourselves. We're kind of very light sleepers now. That And even when the kid sleeps through the night, if there's any bit of noise, the two of us kind of bolt upright in the bed and we think, was that her? Was that him? Um, I know. Is is that a normal thing that, I suppose, like the baby sleeping, you'll just get through it? I really feel that, obviously, as parents, we do find, and I'm working with parents all of the time, that's what I do, um, that we often we help the child to learn to sleep and then we're still waking. We almost need to retrain our own bodies. However, I also feel that as a parent in those early years, we are almost designed to be on high alert, that 
it is we are aware of our surroundings in, in, a, in a way that we never would have been before. And I found as myself as a parent that as my own children have become older, my deeper sleep is back again now that they're older and potentially don't need me to be on that high alert for you. So I think also it's nature coming into play here too. All right. Well, Lucy Wolf is a sleep consultant and a trainer with Sleep Works Therapy and SleepMatters.ie. Lucy, thanks very much for speaking to us. That is all we have time for on High Noon today. Kira Kelly will be back tomorrow.